This is Getting to Know Your Bible, a program dedicated to the proclaiming of the good news of Jesus Christ. Here's Billy Lambert. Now, now on Getting to Know Your Bible, we offer a free Bible correspondence course. I emphasize the course is free, and we want you to know more about the course and how you can receive it. So we're going to pause now for just a moment. To help you in your study of the Bible, we want to send you this Bible correspondence course. This course is non-denominational. It's based on the Bible. It's conducted by mail, and it's free. To receive this course, write to Getting to Know Your Bible, P.O. Box 314, Summerdale, Alabama, 36580, or call toll-free 1-877-711-5214. I call your attention now to the book of Ezekiel, chapter 37, beginning in verse 1. The hand of the Lord was upon me, and carried me out in the Spirit of the Lord, and set me down in the midst of the valley, which was full of bones, caused me to pass by them round about, and there were very many in the open valley, and lo, they were very dry. And he said unto me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, thou knowest. And he said unto me, Prophesy unto these bones, and say unto them, O ye dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord God unto these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter into you, and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you, and bring flesh upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and ye shall live, and ye shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a noise, and behold, a shaking, and the bones came together, bone to his bone. And when I beheld, lo, the sinews and the flesh came up upon them, and the skin covered them above, but there was no breath in them. Then he said unto me, Prophesy unto the wind. Prophesy, son of man, and say to the wind, Thus saith the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe upon these slain, that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded, and the breath came into them, and they lived, and stood up on their feet, an exceeding great army. To me, that's one of the most unusual readings in the Bible. It's rather intriguing. In this particular reading, Ezekiel the prophet was carried in a vision into the very midst of a valley filled with dry, bleached, dislocated bones. And as he's walking in the midst of that valley filled with those dry, bleached bones, the Lord asked him this question, Son of man, can these bones live? And I believe that Ezekiel showed his wisdom by his answer. He said, O Lord God, thou knowest. And the Lord says, Well now, Ezekiel, I want you to prophesy to these bones. I want you to tell these bones to hear my word. And I want you to tell them that if they hear my word, I'm going to cause them to rise up again. That I'm going to put flesh on those bones and send you on those bones. And I'm going to cover that flesh and send you with skin. And they're going to live. And I'll cause the breath to enter into them. So Ezekiel began to prophesy as he had been commanded. And as he began to prophesy... Uh, there was a noise and there was a shaking as the bones began to come back together, bone to his bone. They began to form skeletons again. 
And what a sight that must have been when Ezekiel's walking in the midst of this valley filled with all of those dry bleached bones and they began to form skeletons. And then he noticed that the sinew and the flesh came upon those bones and they were covered with skin. But then there wasn't any breath in those bones, those bodies. They were just lifeless bodies. And the Lord said, Now, Ezekiel, I want you to prophesy again. And I want you to call on the four winds to come and breathe upon these slain. So he began to prophesy. And the breath entered in them, and they lived, and they stood upon their feet, an exceeding great army. Now, to me, that's one of the most interesting, unusual readings that you'll find in all of the Word of God. But what does it mean? You know, there's something very interesting about studying the Bible. Sometimes when you read a passage of Scripture in the Bible, it doesn't matter if you read many passages prior to that passage or after that passage, it doesn't change what that particular verse says. I think an example of that is 1 Thessalonians 5.17, pray without ceasing. It doesn't matter if you read the first 16 verses of that chapter or begin with verse 18 and read to the end of that chapter. It will not modify, it will not change verse 17 at all because it stands on its own. But sometimes in order to understand a passage of Scripture or a series of verses of Scripture, you have to read either before that reading or after it. And that's the case of Ezekiel's vision of dry bones. We, if, if it were not for verse 11, we might forever wonder what the meaning of this vision was. Because you'll notice in verse 11, he says, these bones are the whole house of Israel. At this time, the children of Israel were a broken, despondent people. And God is letting them know that if they will just listen to him, that he's going to raise them up and make of them once again a strong nation and strong army of people. And for all practical purposes, that's the meaning of that particular vision. But you know, when I read Ezekiel's vision of dry bones, I see some other things there. I, I see it, it, some things in it that are representative of other things. For example, that vision of dry bones to me represents those who are living in the spiritual valley of dry bones, who are dead in their sins. In the second chapter of Ephesians, Paul talked about people being dead in sin. He said, And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. In verse number 12, he said that at that time ye were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope, and being without God in the world. I can't think of a more dismal picture in all of the Bible than that one. People who are dead in sin, who are without Christ, who are without God, and who are without hope. But it need not be like that because people can be in Christ as opposed to being out of Him. And what blessings there are for us when we're in Jesus Christ. Let me read some verses to you. First of all, from Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. That verse tells me that all spiritual blessings are found in Jesus Christ. Now, there are blessings that God gives all people. There's the blessing of the, the sunshine and the rain and the air. There are those physical blessings that that all people, regardless of whether they're saints or sinners, 
have the opportunity of enjoying. But there are certain blessings, special blessings, called spiritual blessings, that are reserved for those who are in Jesus Christ. Let me read another verse to you. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. So an individual who is in Jesus Christ is a new creature. And then let me read to you Romans chapter 8 and verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Jesus Christ, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. There's no condemnation to that individual who is in Jesus Christ. You see that person that Paul describes in Ephesians 2 as dead in sin, without Christ, without God, without hope. That is, they are condemned. But that person who is in Jesus Christ is no longer condemned. Then let me read to you now from 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse number 10. I endure all things for the elect's sake, that they may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus. Salvation is in Christ. New, you're a new creature in Jesus Christ. There is no condemnation in Christ. All spiritual blessings are found in Jesus Christ. So I know that it's not necessary for an individual to be in that spiritual valley of dry bones dead in sin, without God, without hope, without Christ, because you can be in Jesus Christ. But the question is, how does an individual get into Jesus Christ where all of those spiritual blessings are found? How does an individual get into Jesus Christ where salvation is found? How does an individual get into Christ where he is a new creature, where there's no condemnation? So how do we get into Jesus Christ? And to answer that question, we want to turn in our Bibles to Romans, the sixth chapter. There's not a better place in all of the Bible than the sixth chapter of Romans to answer the question of how does one get into Christ? Take your Bibles, if you will, now, begin reading with me verse number 1. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? In Ephesians 2, he talks about people who are dead in sin. Now he's talking about people who are dead to sin. The difference between a person who is dead in sin and a person who is dead to sin is the difference between an individual who has not repented and the person who has repented of sin. And so when we die to sin, we repent of our sins. We die to the love of sin, to the law of sin, to the willful, deliberate practice of sin in our lives. So how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein. And now notice verse 3. Know you not, in other words, don't you know, that so many of us as were, this is past tense, this is something they had already done, that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ. How does an individual get into Christ, Paul? Baptized into Jesus Christ we're baptized into his death. 
It was in Jesus' death that Jesus shed his precious blood that washes us and cleanses us of our sins. But the question is, how do I contact that blood? Where do I contact that blood? And this verse teaches that we're baptized into his death, into the benefits of that death. That's where I come in contact by faith with his blood that washes me, cleanses me of my sins. Now, verse number four. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. And so just like Jesus Christ died on the cross, we die to sin. Just like Jesus Christ was buried in that borrowed grave of Joseph, we are planted in a watery tomb. And just like Jesus Christ was raised from the dead by the power of God, we rise from the waters of baptism to walk in the newness of life. Now look at verse number 5. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of His death, we shall also be in the likeness of His resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with Him that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. So here what we, here's what Paul is telling us. We die to sin. We're buried with Christ in baptism. We rise to walk in the newness of life. And when we're baptized in water, we are baptized to be baptized into the Lord Jesus Christ, into His death. That's for the remission of our sins, Acts 2.38. Because it is in baptism that we come in contact with that blood that washes away our sins. Acts 22.16 Why tarriest thou? Arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. And so we, here we die to sin. We're buried with Christ in baptism and we're raised to walk in the newness of life. And so that's what puts us into Jesus Christ. And so if you're out of Christ today, friend, I would urge you with all the love of my heart to become a Christian today as a believer in Christ. Turn away from sin. Be immersed into Jesus Christ, into His death, that your sins be washed away in the blood of the Lamb. Rise to walk in the newness of life. And in so doing, you'll bear likeness of His death, His burial, and of His resurrection. And that's when we're made free from sin. Look at verse 17 and verse 18 of this same chapter. But God be thanked that you were the servants of sin. They are not now, but they were at times past. But you have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you, being then made free from sin. Made free from sin when? When they obeyed a form of the death, the burial, resurrection of Christ by dying to sin, being buried with Christ in baptism, then being raised to walk in the newness of life. That's when we're made free from sin. So if you know that you're in that spiritual valley of dry bones today, may I urge you to think seriously on these matters and you become a child of God as soon as you possibly can. There's going to be a telephone number on the screen. And if you would like assistance in completing your obedience to the gospel, why don't you pick up the telephone and call? I don't care where you live. I don't care what time of the day or night it might be. Call us. We want to help you be prepared, not just for eternity,
But we want you to be prepared to live the abundant life right now. But you know when I read that vision of Ezekiel, it reminds me of something else. It reminds me of a congregation of the Lord's people that need an old-fashioned, Bible-centered revival. Somebody says, now, Brother Lambert, don't be talking about revivals. Well, we need to. In Psalms 85 and 6, the psalmist said, Wilt thou not revive us again, that thy people may rejoice in thee? And I put emphasis on that word again. They needed it before, they needed it again. And regardless of how much good we may have done in times past, from time to time, we need reviving. In the book of Habakkuk, the third chapter and verse number two, there the prophet said, In the midst of the years, revive thy work in the midst of the years, in the midst of the years make known, in wrath remember mercy. And it is often the case that it is in the midst of the years that God's people need reviving. And we need a revival today. If there is a prayer that I could have today for the Lord's people worldwide, it's the prayer found in the book of Ezra chapter 9 and verse 8. Ezra was praying for God's people then. It's a prayer to pray for God's people now. And here it is, give us a little reviving. And we need reviving. When our fervor begins to die, we need reviving. When we're losing interest in things of a spiritual nature, we need reviving. And so this reminds me, it just kind of pictures to me a church that is in need of an old-fashioned, Bible-centered revival. Why, a church where they stop reading the Bible needs to have a revival? Surely, Surely the one place that people would be studying the Bible would be in the church, wouldn't you think? But that's not often true. If we really want to be a strong Christian, we've got to feed our souls on something. And it's not the television, and it's not the newspaper, and it's not magazines. We need to feed ourselves on spiritual food. In Matthew 4 and 4, Jesus said, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. In Matthew chapter 5 and verse 6, Jesus said, Blessed are those who do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. We need to have a hunger and a thirst for spiritual food. In 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 2, listen to what the apostle said, because this is a key to spiritual growth and development. As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word, that you may grow thereby. We feed ourselves on the Word of God. And I have often wondered, if we fed our physical bodies like we feed our souls, what difference would there be in our physical makeup? I rather suspect that if we fed our bodies like some feed their souls, that some of us would lose some of the extra poundage that we might be carrying around. I remember when I was a student in school that we went on a field trip to a mental hospital. It was the psychology class. And, and that one trip made an impression on me that I will remember for the rest of my life. We saw out in the yard people who were 50, 60, some maybe even 70 years of age playing like little children. 
Their, their bodies grew, their minds just never developed. And then finally the guide took us into a room and there were little boys that were all along the side of each, each side of the wall of that room and each one of them had on a pair of little overalls, but each one of them also had on a straight jacket. And as we walked through that room, they would call out, Mama, Daddy, Mama, Daddy. It would almost break your heart. Now the reason they had them in those straight jackets to restrain them is because they, they would try to have latched on to us. They would try to go with us as we walked through the room. And finally the guide took us into a room where there were little cribs. And I shall never, ever forget the last human form he showed us. There was a human form in one of those cribs just about this long. And the man said, this child is nine years old. This child does not know where it is, who it is. It doesn't know daylight from dark. That child's limbs were twisted. Its legs were crooked and twisted. And as I looked at the form of that little child, I thought, when we fail to feed our spiritual man, when we starve our souls for spiritual food, how warped and how stunted we must look to in the sight of God. Brethren, when we fail to study the Bible, we need a revival. And we need to have a revival in the church when we have allowed worldliness to have its way. You know, some people are fearful that organized atheism and infidelity one day is going to destroy the influence of the church. I, I do believe that organized atheism and infidelity are something we must reckon with. But if the influence of the church is ever destroyed, it will be from within. The fact is that when the devil attacks us from the outside, we only get stronger. But when, when the devil gets within and begins to work within, that's when we become weaker. Someone said that the world is not becoming more churchy, whatever he meant by that, but that the church is becoming more worldly, and I think I would have to agree with that. More and more we're seeing the world creep into the church. You know, there isn't anything wrong with a ship being in the water. That's, the, that's where you expect to find a ship, in the water. But, but you have a serious problem on your hands when that water starts giving into the ship. And, and we're in the world. We just, we just can't eliminate that, can we? We're in it. But we're not of it. In Romans, the twelfth chapter, Paul said, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world. What did you say, Paul? Be not conformed to this world but be ye transformed by the renewing of your minds that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. 
Philip's translation says, don't allow the world to squeeze you into its mold. And that's exactly what Paul is trying to tell us here. But when we've allowed the, the, the world to squeeze us into its mold, that's when we need spiritual revival. And a church needs a revival when it's lost the art of loving. Hebrews 13 and 1 says, let brotherly love continue. Let me ask you a very personal question. How do people know you are a Christian? How, how would you answer that question? Well, you say, Brother Lambert, the, the way that people know that I'm a Christian is that I eat the Lord's Supper every Sunday. I, now, no, I didn't ask how you worshiped. I asked how do people know you're a Christian? You say, well, Brother Lambert, people know I'm a Christian because I've been baptized for the remission of my sins. I didn't ask you how you became a Christian. I asked, how do people know you're a Christian? And let me give you the acid test of how people know that you are a Christian. It's found in John, the 13th chapter, verses 34 and 35. Jesus said, a new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another even as I've loved you. And by this, Shall I all men know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another? And when we've lost that art of having love one for another, we need reviving. But in conclusion, the vision of dry bones in Ezekiel chapter 37 is representative, if not in fact an early prophecy of the future resurrection. In John the fifth chapter, Jesus said, The hour is coming in which all that are grace shall hear his voice and shall come forth. They that have done good to the resurrection of life, and they that have done evil to the resurrection of damnation. You know when that happens, only two things are going to be important. Are you in Christ? And are you the right kind of Christian? Have you been faithful? Have you been everything that you ought to be as a child of God? Think on these things. And in the closing moments, may I encourage you to call for the free Bible correspondence course. And until we meet again, may the Lord bless you and keep you, is my prayer. We want to help you as much as possible in your search for a personal relationship with God. You can now easily access our free Bible correspondence course online at gettingtoknowyourbible.com. If there's any way we can help you grow closer to God, please email us at gettingtoknowyourbible at yahoo.com or call us anytime at 7114 has been presented by Churches of Christ. If you have a question about the church, or if you would like the location of a Church of Christ near you, or to receive the free Bible course, write to Getting to Know Your Bible, P.O. Box 314, Summerdale, Alabama 36580, or call 1-877-711-5214. Join us next time for Getting to Know Your Bible.